All right, Elman's back in the hizzy with a man with a beautiful beard, Lee Vartanian of Modern Icon. So we have done podcasts with Lee in the past because Lee is our primary climbing instructor. So he's done a bunch of stuff with our military folks and doing Lee climbing, tri climbing. So that being said, we're going to talk with Lee tonight about Modern Icon, which is his company, man. So we'll get into a little bit more on Modern Icon, but real quick, Lee, if you could hit us up with a tad bit of your background. Yeah, so if I could start Include out, the hippie stuff, too. <laughs> include the whole hippie thing, too. I was hoping I was going to stop you before you started with the hippie stuff, but a little disclaimer for anybody listening that may be sensitive, fellow tree huggers. I don't know that Sean's a fan um, because I get a lot of flack for liking nature, not wanting to bulldoze it. It's not like I like nature too, man. It's the fact that when we go climbing or whatever and we have to hike in, it's some ungodly thing that you says at like 10 minutes and it's like 50 minutes later and you're telling me about the history of the rhododendrons. Yeah, it's and, important and, to know if it's greater or less a rhododendron. That's uh, a thing. Yeah, so that's the problem I have is it's just hearing all your floral knowledge. So, yeah, I guess the fact that I live in a VW bus <laughs> climbing and traveling cross country is it, it's well-deserved, but yeah. Um, yeah, so did that. Spent some time in a commune um, as a climbing instructor. It's not, it wasn't technically a commune, although it was a community where you ate together and did everything together and it's a sung songs and things like that. So it's not really a commune, but a community of like-minded individuals who don't question anything really and just accept it all. So that was fun. So that was early on in my days. I did spend a little bit of time as an anarchist. So I do... Believe in sticking to the man. However, I did become the man, which is why I'm. I've full got circle. so many issues, really. Yeah, full circle. Yeah. <laughs> then you became a cop. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. So climbing guy, you're climbing guy. Spent some time out Yosemite, just yeah. doing the dirtbag life for a while. Living the dirtbag life. And uh, did some disaster relief stuff for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, always kind of maintain your climbing, and then ended up working for. Uh, uh, police department, law enforcement agency, mm-hmm. for a little while, and in that time period, you started Modern Icon, yep. and that was cool. And I remember getting some of the early prototype stuff, and then it just kind of started blowing up to the point where this past year you left law enforcement to do it full time. Yep, yeah, it kind of took over my life. You and sewing machines in my basement. Yeah, and then <laughs> you now you've grown into your own <laughs> workspace and everything. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's cool. So what really we got to hit a little bit with your background. I think your background, why I want to hit on it was with climbing, coming up with your own stuff for climbing, weight rated stuff, all these type of things, and your knowledge of really the vertical environment kind of shaped where you're hitting on right now, uh, especially with canine gear as far as harnesses and you got leashes that are weight rated that you can repel off of and and all this craziness so kind of talk us through the evolution of the the early start of modern icon and what prompted you as far as from law enforcement hitting you up for certain things and where that grew into the next step and things yeah so um initially i just kind of started making my own rifle slings which is an odd start for manufacturing canine products. You're in the military, too. We right, that right. part. Yeah, sorry. So I was in the Marine Corps, um, and what I was in, that was back when they were using, like, Vietnam-era canteens and stuff before camelbacks came into vogue. Yeah, old woodland camouflage type stuff. So, um, like, when, when uh, they transitioned from the standard A1A2s to the uh, M4s, they started making slings, and all these things were goofy, super complicated, they were like three point, two point convertible. You can fire from the hip, like stupid stuff, right? Um, so I made my own sling out of paracord and an Alice pack strap, and uh, that was it. Just made it for myself to use. Um, I found out you could include a bungee cord inside of it, so it had like a shock absorbing capability to it too. Thought that was kind of cool. And then I'm a little survivalist at heart, so um, you know, like having seventy feet of paracord is always a good thing for us folks. So I had a sewing machine. My, I made my grandma, I was always a strange kid, I made my grandma, who was a master seamstress, sewed everything from upholstery to wedding dresses, teach me how to sew when I was 13. Um, I've been sewing ever since out of necessity. I know, I'm getting looks. Yes, I understand, like, sewing is a not a manly task. No, it's cool, it's man. Fine. You have flames, and so you draw flames and stuff on your sewing machine, so it's, it's, whatever. it's, it's like a hot yeah. rod sewing machine. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's gray. It's like gunmetal gray, so it's okay. Um, but yeah, so that allowed me to manufacture, really, kind of my own rifle slings. 
Um, when I started on with the department at the range, I brought a sling because I saw the slings they were using were pretty crappy. I was like, hey, if I showed you a sling, would you be interested in using it? They saw it, thought it was the best thing they'd seen, and all of a sudden all the instructors bought some, so I ended up having to go and find a supplier for a webbing and that kind of thing. So I was already sewing at the time, but it was when I was going in a roll call and saw our canine handler kind of unloading his trunk, getting kitted up for the, for the shift, and I saw his leash that he had. Now, I've seen these dogs in the street, and I don't want to be bit by one or gutted by one, right? And so when I saw the leash that he was using and realized that it was the lowest grade webbing money can't buy um, with the crappiest construction known to man, um, I thought that was a problem since these dogs are trained to, I'm using air quotes here, detain people. I mean, that's they'll put a hurt on you, right? Sleeve your arm off. So, yeah, so I was like, hey, if I can make you, I got a sewing machine, I got webbing, if I can make you better leash, would you be interested in using it? Um, and that's kind of where it started, made him one leash. That guy happened to be uh, well-respected within the department and his training troop, and so all these other departments, they all kind of get together to train because there's not a whole lot of handlers per department, um, so they kind of pool their resources, and then that led one thing led to another, and all of a sudden I started getting requests from all these different departments in the area, and really just stayed with word of mouth like that, um, selling between shifts for two years. And then I know that there was one point where... And I know it happened way before this, but I was traveling a whole bunch. You were helping me with a, a class that was going on, and there was a canine conference. So we had guys from Maryland and D.C. and Georgia all over the place in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And you had everybody's kind of freaking out because you had weight-rated leashes. And I think it was probably, I don't know, a couple of months before. It was actually the mm-hmm. same time that I broke my finger, man, that day. <laughs> yeah. we, were, we were out trading with a, with a, a local SWAT team. And uh, we went ahead and made a releasable anchor out of your leash, man. It worked like a, like a freaking pimp. Yeah, I don't remember where you sent me somewhere to do to a training, yeah, and you kind of took over for me. Yeah, I took uh, but, yeah. But yeah, and that you know that's kind of the thing. So the whole outside the box approach to thinking, which you played a huge part in, kind of helped me see that because I started with my traditional climbing background, um, where whatever the curriculum at the school that I was taught at said was the gospel, whatever certain organizations like AMGA said was the gospel. Um, and that was my only way of thinking, and you kind of opened my mind to see how that's not really the way the world works. And so I kind of applied that same approach to uh, the handling community. So these handlers have to have a long line, is what they call it, or tracking lead, which are between 15 to 30 feet, typically. And so I'm thinking, what can you do with 15 or 30 feet of webbing? Like that's, Crap ton. Yeah, it's nuts. We do that all the time, right? So I thought, okay, if these handlers are in a active shooter scenario on a second floor of a building... Um, and they can't quite clear everybody, but they have you know people that are injured in a room. They've been able to create a, a CCP. Then why can't they just pop a window out and lower who they got using the webbing they have on hand already? Post a dog up on the door and, and kind of go to work. So that's right, kinda... and then considering you know your average, if we look at like Virginia Tech or something like that, your average building construction, you're thinking on floors. 10 to 12 feet per floor, depending on what the foyer is and all that crap. But when we're looking at schools, it's pretty straightforward, unlike, you know, hotels and stuff. But uh, so even with their tracking lead, you potentially have the opportunity of getting somebody down almost three floors yeah. with, the, with the typical one. And then so you made the leashes weight rated, you know, even to the point where, uh, you know, terrible emergency or whatever, you're using weight rated buckles even on the dog collars that can get strapped around a two by four easy as any kind of anchor. And so everything on there is is kind of multi-use. And I think when you start putting it into the active shooter range with K9 integration in there, they don't have to carry extra crap. I mean, they can make stuff happen with what they have, right? Yeah. And that's kind of the thought I had too. I was like, okay, these guys are already, the leashes they're using are already made out of webbing. Most of it's low-grade webbing, so why not just start off by using mil-spec climbing-grade webbing? And then the other thought was, well, you know, I've used daisy chains all my life. Like, why not add some flat clipping points to allow them to be able to use what would be considered a pace methodology with their leads? So on the end of every one of our leads, there's a clipping point, a one-and-a-half-inch clipping point. So in the field, if their snap breaks, they can take a carabiner off their kit, which most of them have, and clip that in and still use that lead. They don't have to throw it in the trash, or, you know, that means a dog goes out of service for the shift. And pace but, being primary alternate contingency yeah, emergency, yeah. Yeah, so using that, that methodology where, you know, things can't just have one function. Everything has to have multiple multiple functions, um, and you have to be able to use, you know, use it under gross motor skill function as well. So um, trying to keep things simple. So there's a lot of designs out there that are super complicated. I'd call it overly complicated which is actually putting the handler, the officer on the road, at a disadvantage 
um, because now you're causing him to have to process more things than what's at hand, what's being presented to him. Uh, but yeah, so we put in soft clipping points on all of our leashes, and that was the first kind of innovation where I just thought, oh my God, like nobody is, how has nobody thought of this? It's millispec webbing. We use them in daisy chains all the time. We do trainings with them. You can use it as releasable anchor. Um, and so I worked that into even our non-strength-weighted leads uh, with the goal that everything we make could be designed strong enough to be strength-weighted. Right, and, and a lot of that stuff too, uh, it's, you've got leashes that, that are strength-rated to where we've gone off on repelling, but when you think about the average size of your canine, you're considering a safety factor that's through the roof, really, mm-hmm. for their weight and, and how they are on a, on a line if you're lowering them with a quick release or something like that mm-hmm. to get them out of a window. So going a little bit out of order what we originally talked about just because of you're talking about design features. So I've looked through a bunch of stuff, and obviously I don't do a whole bunch with canine. I, I do stuff vertical to help teams out because canine is usually integrated at some level. But you see such variances in the equipment out there. So there's some stuff out there and that's kind of been tagged as like tactical versus tactical and tactical just like looking like it's got 20 different – Cobra buckles on it. Yeah. It's got crazy crap everywhere. Pretty bulky, man. Yep. Uh, when we're trying to attach it on, whether a guy's fast roping or he's repelling with that canine, it's it, not awesome. It's the opposite of awesome, whatever that word is, um, <laughs> is what it is. So when you look at, at that tactical where it's like all crazy, glitzy Cobra buckles, newest this and, and crap compared to like straight up a tactical requirement to where they can move fast. It's quick. It's easy. It's comfortable for the canine, but it's, it's much more maneuverable, but you can add on or take off as needed is kind of the, where you're at. Hit on that a little bit yeah. just because there's some goofy stuff out there yeah. and I'm not a canine handler and I look at it like that's it's just, just doesn't take a goofy yeah, you know, ass yeah. shit, man. Yeah. It's pretty easy to tell a lot of these. So yeah, so I refer to those as design complications. Um, and kind of the trend or what's happened now is uh, the canine market, like that tactical, tactical is what I call it, canine market, um, is really taken off because all these DIYers are buying these Malawas that, are ended, that will end up destroying their home and probably maiming their children um, because they think they can watch a couple YouTube videos and read a book or two and train their dog like a police dog and then lock them up for eight hours a day and uh, think everything's going to work fine. But they're buying the same gear that they're seeing handlers using. And unfortunately, they're also seeing, I said unfortunately, I'll explain that in a minute, um, military units are using. And so here kind of comes this huge soapbox of mine, and I, we have to stop me if you need to um, and go to bed at some point. Uh, But what ends up happening is you'll have a vest, for example, that was designed for perhaps one specific mission for one specific group of folks that have very narrow requirements for what is going to have to be put on that dog, audio, video, equipment. Um, There's very specific things that really nobody other than the manufacturer and that group is going to know. And so what ends up happening is the manufacturer is like, okay, cool, big DOD contract, great, we'll get a lot of these out, uh, make some money, but we already have the design down. So why don't we just go ahead and sell this, make it part of our catalog and offer it to the public. And so then you got people like handlers that are buying your departments that are spending $700 on a harness that if you were to count the features of the harness, three of say 17 would actually function for that officer. And sorry for those as design complications because any additional thing that you put on that harness, um, any new feature or even a function that's added to the harness that is not absolutely necessary for whatever that skill set mission is, whatever the end user is going to need, is a complication. Each of those complications is a potential point for failure. And that's kind of my big thing. So like you can look at our leashes, and they are innovative enough to be patent pending um, with the clipping points. And we do uh, what we call tactile response points every foot, so you can kind of tell how much line you have out. There's reasons for that too. Um, you can get measurements, internal dimensions of rooms, long walls, short walls, that kind of thing with by setting your dog in and kind of getting the measurements. But um like that, there's enough to it for it to be innovative enough to be patent pending, yet there's, it's all simple enough that anybody can pick it up and use it. And there's not a ton of moving parts to it, like these harnesses that people are putting out. But there's one that has used seven Cobra buckles, Cobra, Austria Alpen Cobra buckles. If your dog's feet were cemented in concrete, then it would serve a purpose. Like you could take the bottom off, the top off, 
the rear off, you know, and put your dog in this thing and then maybe, I don't know what, snap a shot or kick it out of an airplane or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, but that's, there's just no purpose to having that many buckles. And, you know, I'm sure these guys will have arguments for why they did it the way they did it. But ultimately what's happening is they're tapping into this tactical market that says, you know what, I want more cover buckles on that thing. I want it in multicam, cryptech, whatever, you know, camouflage. We got guys all the time asking us, hey, you going to put out a whatever latest camouflage pattern? And my response is typically, yeah, let me know when you've like, you know, camo dipped your dog in that exact same pattern and I'll match it. Right. Yeah, it's the cloak of invisibility. That's awesome. So hitting back just a little bit. So with your background, and I think this is kind of is always interesting, is you're not a canine handler. Yeah. Right. And and this has always been kind of one of those things where even with rescue, right, there's these disciplines of, of rescue that are out there. And it's always amazing that I, I've been part of – oh, beer, beer. Yeah, there you go. Um, is you get these different disciplines of rescue, and a lot of times we put these blinders on. That's what you see. So, you know, if we talk about fire department tech rescue, right, those blinders are 12.5 millimeter, 11 millimeter, mm, yep. steal this, NFP 1983 stamps, and this and that. Go into the climbing world, right, you get – kind of a – there's a bunch of, right, games climbers play. Yep. So you got a yep. bunch of variances in there, but you're looking at a much different standards. You get into the mountain rescue, and it's kind of a, a little mix kind of between the two. And yet there's always seems to be blinders, and we've tried to take a real holistic view over the last decade and a half really and, and kind of do best in, best in show. And it's really interesting that getting that outside – performance parameter and i've worked with people that you know with design teams and one you know we just talked about so i'll throw their, their name out there is is adelrid so you know we're looking at doing some new ropes and a couple new these harnesses yeah. with them it's interesting because they don't do the rescue i do but what the insight they bring has just schooled me yep. it's like dude i didn't even know that existed i didn't even know you could do that right. that's a that's a different view right. because i get you sometimes get even as as wide view as you want to be you get locked into something where this is what it should look like my belief yep. needs to be like this, or this needs to be like this, and then somebody's like, "Well, why? What if you did this?" And you're like, "Dude, shut! Up. Holy crap, that's yeah. gonna actually work." Um, and that's kind of the view that you brought yeah. into a lot of these things is you have that verticality mm-hmm. background, and you're able to bring a lot of those things that have worked so well with light and fast weight yeah. uh, things for climbing, um, mountain rescue yeah. type of stuff, and bring that into the canine where it's like, "Holy crap, that didn't exist before." You started yeah. bringing that into that. Yeah, and that's you know I guess that's the thing that's really set us apart and um that and i think the idea of like quality construction and what that actually means but yeah so i'm not a canine handler and that is usually pretty surprising most folks would think that okay you know if somebody's manufacturing canine gear they need to be a canine handler um and that's actually a problem so and i'll give this example too and folks listening you know you guys do your own homework and kind of feel this thing out on your own but if you go through and you and you look through the different manufacturers of these products, a lot of times each product will be attached to a specific handler that helped them design it. That's one handler that came with up with one idea um, and was like, hey, I got this cool idea. I want to make this thing. I think it needs to do this, that, and the other. And what I've learned about handling is it's part art, part science. So that art side of it where, it, you know, there's techniques and things that are, there's no, it's just the way that's worked for you. Not that it's wrong. It's just that's how you function. East Coast versus West Coast. I mean, there's different areas, different countries. Everybody handles a little bit differently. Um, because And you can, we go nuts going into all the details of it, but like you can trace it back through history and sporting dogs and the different hunting dogs and things like that, that they've used the same techniques and try to apply them, but they don't really apply. It's just, there's a lot out there. So um, at the end of the day, though, what ends up happening is, you know, these celebrity level handlers will create a product or a series of products that work for them, for what they do and how they do it. And so unless you're operating like that, it's you're not going to be able to use all the features. It's not going to actually function the way you would want it to function. Um, and so what I've been able to do is take this outside-the-box approach where I don't go to a celebrity-level handler. I go to all of the experts in their own independent fields um, and talk to them, get consensus on what they need, and then create a product that none of them individually could come up with on their own. I get a lot of people that want me to do products for them, like they'll have an idea, oh my God, this thing's awesome, it's going to be the next greatest thing, please, can you make it? I think this is going to make us lots of money, and that's great, and super ambitious, God bless them for it. At the end of the day, most of most of these handlers are, are not designers. They just can't, they can't wrap their heads around what needs to go into the specific product. They can tell you what they need it to do, 
which is what I glean from these guys, is what, what do you need these things to do? And then I'm the one that comes up with that design because that is my wheelhouse. That is how I think. I think outside the box. I love materials. I love material science. I love manufacturing, construction. The whole process um, to me is, is kind of, uh, that's, that's my wheelhouse. So I think that's kind of the biggest thing for me. It's been the, the, the biggest strength for us across the board is that the products that we make are now being are standard issued internationally. Um, so like we've got multiple departments in Australia that were like, who, how did you even get one of our, like, did you, how did you know we exist? Right. This is back then when it's through word of mouth. We didn't have a website, we had nothing. Um, and it just happened to be that one handler got one lead over there. And then he showed it to his trainer, who then showed it to all these other departments. And now it's standard issue in most of these Australian departments. So it applies across the board, and it's not self-limiting in its design. Right. And I think you brought up a good, good points, too, is from a design side compared to a capability side, you know, even when we did redid the ERS, mm-hmm. I don't know that it's been what like two years where we started developing yeah. or even longer than that is we realized like hey yeah this is a this is a great strap for getting casualties out but we are so often using it as a rigging anchor yep. for rigging so where can we get the best of both worlds and so when you and I started talking you brought up things that I, I'm, I'm an end user man you know I know the capabilities I need yeah. for teaching and for operations but you were able to bring that then we linked up with Corey you know yeah. uh, at Tactical Tech and all and he's a design dude, yep. you know, so it's all these things that I wouldn't know where the bar tack, fold this back and bar tack it here so it can be weighted in this direction, that direction. And I think as a lot of people that are listening to this are, are probably end users, as I am, is when we're looking at that bar tack, we see a bar tack, but we don't understand like which way that fold goes means a whole bunch. Yeah, and, the and so we get thread exactly the stitch pattern. Exactly, right? So we had we had we had the former haters that we won't yeah. bring up that tried to copy yeah. that stuff. And there's actually another company that copied I just showed you yeah. on the internet, yeah, which yeah. is hysterical. But when you look at how they did it, yeah. you're like, oh my God, I, I wouldn't use that because yeah. they use multiple webbings instead of one solid yeah. one. So if any of those bar tags break. So it's always well, in the minutia yeah. where the strength is and the design and the capability driven thing. So I think teaming up with a wide group of people yeah. that you have and looking at hey, what's your end goal and let me figure out how the how design of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How to get there. Yeah, well, and that's the other side of it, too, because, you know, we've had, we won't name names because there's, like, petting litigation, but <laughs> there's been enough companies that have have successfully or at least tried to copy our designs because all every product we have is a unique design. There's something about it that's different than anything else that's ever been made, which is crazy to think because, I mean, it's, we've been doing it for five years now. Um, we're just, like, kind of new on the scene, but yet we're still being able to innovate with each of these products that we create. But, you know, at the end of the day, these companies that are kind of trying to follow suit, you know, there was a time where we were, we were making blog posts about certain aspects of our design, why we use certain materials, construction, uh, buckles, and things like that. And we actually stopped because as we were doing that, we'd watch other companies' products change. And I think a lot of those companies, I mean, obviously you and I talk quite a bit and we're able to see it, but it's almost kind of how we were talking about disruptive rescue, where you're bringing things in that are so... People, people at Cedar are like, why didn't I think of that? Why yeah. didn't I do that? That's, that's it's, so like, it's common sense. It is. And I think mm-hmm. you're bringing a disruption into that because yeah. you have groups that have been out there that have hold, held the market yeah. in canine for so long yep. that they really haven't had to become too innovative. Yeah. And, and if they have become innovative, it's just adding on to a, a pre-existing concept. So, you know what? Let's add this to this harness we already have or yeah. let's add this onto it when in reality you might want to just ditch the whole freaking yeah. thing and start from scratch and come up with something that's actually innovative. And I think that you've kind of disrupted the canine because obviously you can go on these things and see people that are actively trying to copy modern yeah. icon stuff now, which is which is hysterical. I mean, it's good, but it pisses you off too. It's flattering, but also we like to hurt them. Yeah, and because a lot of these other companies man, have a lot of money yeah. and they're big and they can do that stuff, stuff yeah. and they're like, you know what, screw them, let them try and well, sue me. So, and that's a good point. Okay, and this is... <laughs> This is a funny, a funny little bit of reality for you, uh, for the folks listening. So there, I don't know how much we can talk about it, but there's a there's one specific instance where one of those companies took a product that is supposed to be strength rated, that both you and I have are intimately, in some way, shape, or form connected to enough to know what it's supposed to be. That company manufactured this thing, and then it proceeded to fail in the field. This is like a rigging strap, maybe not to be named. Uh, but the irony is, is that, you know, I can, 
if you have a head for design, like for me, I don't know, it's like, like Rain Man style. Like I can look at anything sewn and I can deconstruct it in my head. I can tell you why it was made that way, good or bad, if there's a good reason for it. A lot of times it's just a matter of efficiency, but I can tell you what the designer's intent was in making that piece of gear the way they made it. So for me, it's easy to see these things and, and kind of whistleblow and be like, what the heck? Like this is, doesn't make any sense. There's no, no sense is made with this product. Um, and that, that was an instance that, that actually did occur where somebody took a product and then tried to make their own version of that product in a different company that has lots of money and can afford to do that. Um, the irony there is that it's, they, they took the product and handed it to their production floor and somebody just tried to copy it the best they could using the machines they had. And the irony there is that they just used the same bar tack pattern you'd see on your Molly gear. Right. Yeah, obviously we did we did we did some videos on this when it came out and yeah. what it was is is thank God it, one of these straps was given for free to to a person that we know and then they called and they're like, "Hey man, like this thing snapped with my kid on it." it, it doing just playing around the backyard yeah. type of thing. So we grabbed one and just to check it out and yeah, we looked at it and right off the bat we saw that the thread was the same thread that's like that, that sews your, your yeah. belt like loops on your jeans. Like yeah, it's like literally, that's the, the, it was number 69, no spec thread. So, and the other ironic part about that is that if you, and that's what I'm saying, is if you know what to look for, even for like what I would consider a layperson, if you work in anything that is a life safety application and is sewn, you understand that the thread for any bar tack that's a strength rated bar tack has to be a contrasting color. <laughs> which means it needs to be visible. To be able to inspect. For you to be able to visually inspect prior to use as part of most everybody's SOPs to be able to, before you put your harness on, you're supposed to be doing the same thing. Even if you're recreational and you're using your harness, you're supposed to do the same thing. We got recreational, famous recreational climbers that have died because they failed to do that. The irony there is that the way that they got around having the proper bar tacking machine or using it, if they had it, they didn't use it, was to actually cover it with some mil-spec 17337, which is... I mean, it's like, it's cosmetic. Um, it's used for binding tape for some things. Like, it's not made for that application. It's not strength rated and, for And you can't, for anybody that does that, just so you guys know when you're inspecting your gear, you can't do that. You have to have that thread exposed to be, be able exposed. to inspect it. They put it around under the guise of, hey, we're going to protect Let's yeah. protect the threads, which is a complete crock of crap. It's just not a thing. Yeah. It just isn't a thing. But the issue, and this is what drives us nuts, and we'll continue to be driven nuts for the rest of time because of this, the issue is that if you're able to get enough really cool pictures of your gear, and if your name's big enough, and if you're a well-known manufacturer, then you can sell this stuff all day, and people will take it and don't question it. And kind of our thing is, and this is what happens, people ask us questions about our products. We, Our goal is not to sell them on our products or the designs. Our goal is to get them so that they're an informed customer so they can make the best decision. Right. If our gear's not the best for their application, then I'd rather recommend somebody else to them. And we've done that before. If we don't make a certain thing and somebody else does it or somebody else does something we do, like we try everything we do we believe are better. Otherwise, we don't make it. There's no point in reinventing the wheel to us. So we're happy to recommend those people, and we will. But at the end of the day, you know, we want the customer to be able to tell the difference because some of these, it's my brothers and sisters who are putting their lives in a line, whether they're four-legged or two, um, so and, and I have lost a buddy in the line of duty, so I understand what that means, and I've lost a buddy that was four-legged and two-legged. So I understand the consequences and the cost, and to think that somebody would sell a tactical, I'm using air quotes, yeah. a tactical product as a functional product just to make a buck to one of my brothers in blue, it just pisses me off. And I don't understand how those people sleep at night. I'm sure they warm themselves with their money, but I'd much rather be broke and uh, sleep at night. No, I absolutely. My part. Yeah, and it, it is. I mean, we could actually probably do an entire podcast that lasts for days on just crap that's gotten copied by people that don't know what they're doing and manufacturers that don't understand. Like when you're talking, even what you're talking, not to kill a, a dead horse here, but you know, if you're making a bar tack and you line it up to the back of your Molly pouch that they also make, and it all lines up and it's the same thread. That's an issue. Yeah, that's an issue. And on top of that, it takes a completely different, more expensive machine to yeah. do a weight-rated yeah. like cord type of thing. Which, which is, is why they ended up right. pumping those things out. But they, the issue, and this is the thing, it's, we could keep going back. The fact that they didn't, like if that was a prototype, then sure. great. You know, it's like a cosmetic prototype, not meant to be a functional prototype. It's like meant to get, nobody's going to test it, nobody's going to pull test it, that's fine. But th the reality is, is that there are certain industry standards, whether it's, internationally recognized or not, there are industry standards 
that you have to at least know what that thing breaks at if you're selling it as a rigging strap or yeah. you're even thinking about using it for that application. If you're not, then just call it what it is. Like that's the thing is I'm not saying that you have to be saying you're not just say, you know what, this thing is designed for lateral drags. That's it. Nothing vertical, not even pulling somebody up over a wall because it's going to snap in half. And then sell them. And we, we broke test just for the fidelity of everything. And I'll try and bring this back in here is one, if you guys do anything vertical, anybody that's listening to this, know the standards in which your crap is sewn to because you're hanging in it or your buddy's hanging on it, your team is. And you would be amazed at the stuff that's currently being sold that you would freak out if you ever saw the brake test on it. So we actually brake tested the bar tack on this, and I think it was sub 200 pounds, man, right? So you're talking, I mean, you are talking 190, I think it was like 193 pounds, and every single stitch came out. Like it completely catastrophically failed. The other side of it is even if you see a brake test on it and you're, you're out at a show and you're looking at this or you're looking at that or you're talking to a manufacturer, make sure that they give you a diagram of how they brake tested it because the brake test on what we were talking mm-hmm. about was actually in the high 9,000s, yeah. but it was the webbing. So nothing, none of the stitching was part yeah. of it, right? Yeah. And so make sure that they're putting a carabiner or wherever it's going to be loaded in the stitching because as soon as that hit, it went from, oh yeah, it holds 9,000 pounds. No, man, any webbing that I put in a water knot and put into that configuration of basket hitch is going to hold that amount of weight, man. It's the stitching we care about. So what's the stitching breaking at when they broke it with the stitching and that's when it was under 200 pounds. Well, and to bring it back to like the canine side for design, you know, all of our products are designed so that they're overbuilt. And we get people that, we've had a few people that be like, oh my God, it's too heavy. We've weighed them, it's like, I don't know, a couple pounds at the most. Like the heaviest product we have is like almost two pounds as our tracking harness because it's got a couple metal steel stamp steel buckles on it, a lot of webbing. But, you know, the webbing that we use is a much thicker, more durable, and actually longer lasting webbing. There's manufacturers that use that same webbing literally just to give their harness shape and then the appearance that that's what it's constructed with. When in reality, it's really thin, less than seatbelt grade webbing that I would not even, you know, I wouldn't clip my kid in with um, and a little bit of Velcro and that's it. And Velcro, what, pulls it about 70 pounds laterally. So, you know, you're thinking about having a, a fur bullet on the end of this thing, snarling at whoever the suspect, or you know, hopefully none of us, but hoping that the Velcro doesn't pull. Yeah, it's just not. It's just not a thing. And people not double passing buckles is another example. They'll put, they'll have a, a strength rated buckle on it, but they won't double pass it. And so I guess you know the thing too for if you guys are listening, like to be able to look at these products and kind of do your own little home, you know, do your own homework. What is that? What is that thing? So if it's a buckle. How is it designed to function? I, I hate to do this because I don't want everybody to end up going out and copying us, but we're the only manufacturers of k products in the literal world that uses the ISC click lock buckles. We don't talk about it because, and hopefully everybody, not all our competitors are listening to this, um, because nobody else is doing it, nobody's caught on to it. But we use those buckles because they're actually superior in strength. Like they are technically superior than a Cobra buckle. They are double the strength. We've been using obviously in on a bunch of our stuff. One, it's easier uh, to manipulate with the glove once you have like SNS, act- and, you know, sympathetic nervous system activation, things like this. But it literally, when you look at it, the strength of it from end to end is the same as a Cobra buckle and a loop. Yep. So it is literally double the strength. Yep. So, and you know, the the side of that for us, so, you know, you could, you could argue, okay, well, is that overkill? And that's what I was kind of talking about is like our stuff's overbuilt, but it's overbuilt for a reason. If it's just overbuilt to be overbuilt, then that's, yeah, it's kind of stupid. Um, but there's a few reasons why we design our stuff. So like we're talking about the, that strap catastrophically failing because every th- stitch ripped out. So we design our harnesses, for example, we design them so that even if stitches were to blow under some insane load, because a dog's, the weight of a dog is not going to do any damage to it ever for all of time. Like the, the material will never, it'd be a thousand years before the material degraded to the point that it would actually blow a part like that. But if you're using it in another, in some instance that none of us have thought about, because we talk about the outlier, you know, that's, we're always thinking about what we can and then also planning for what we can't think about. If we're not, then we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot because as soon as something happens that has never happened before, you're back to square one. 
Right, it's probability versus possibility. So we don't work off a Gaussian curve. We work off a power inverse law. It's just it, not a thing. Exactly. It's and, just not a thing. It's not a thing in our reality. And to pretend like it is, is kind of, it's humorous at this point. It's naive. Yeah, it really is. So, you know, when we design the collars, for example, we start out using these massive uh, V-ring buck, uh, V-rings on it. And we did that because we expected people to be able to rig in them clip multiple carabiners to them. And we have had people that have used those and the click locks, the strength of click lock buckles around uh, railings in mm-hmm. um, getting VIPs and stuff out of, you know, vertical spaces. So, you know, there's reasons why they're designed the way they are and they're overbuilt so that that person can do the thing that we didn't, I don't want to say didn't intend for it to do because I have a pretty broad imagination, to be able to use it in ways that weren't necessarily intended to be used and everybody like we all like, i get a piece of gear man and i'll use it how it's made for maybe a day or two and then immediately we're doing you know what would be called off-label uses you know it's funny because even with like the bd guide you know how we were rigging that to make yeah. it into if that's all you have is progressive yep. capture we rig it backwards so it's not going through a v and you know i call bd and like, we can't say to do that <laughs> you know we can't we yeah. don't test it that way you and you're like, on that. yeah well okay it whatever it does it works so <laughs> and whatever. Um, now, real quick, getting into it, there's a couple of things I wanted to hit on is one is you hit a thing that was pretty cool. You got invited to the Daniel Defense show down in Florida, right? Yeah. So you did like but a then you got kind of like the hurricane or some shit was <laughs> right, coming through. Right. But yeah, that, that was pretty cool. Out. Yeah. But you got some cool footage. I saw some dudes rolling on some Yeah, that was fun. So, you know, our tracking harness, so people don't know, and this is also kind of fun for me because when I see people copy it, I kind of, I get to giggle about it. If, if people see our products, they've been fielded and tested for one calendar year prior to anybody physically seeing them outside of that, the few individuals that we have that we keep close to our pocket that we trust with our IP. So that, and the reason why they were out there is because they were going to do a helicopter insert and um, needed a canine to do it for this shoot. It was like a, a thing they did for Recoil Magazine, actually. Our harness, our, I'm using air quotes again, our tracking harness was not a tracking harness originally. It was a repelling harness that we needed to be able to track with. Again, design-wise, the simplicity of it was what attracted, I think, what is attracting Daniel Defense to it. Is it something different, something new? And that was a blast. We got to shoot steel. I have a little bird, and I've never been able to do that. So yeah, I think I was living in a video game. It was kind of fun. That is awesome. Yeah. Around the same time, and I guess we'll respect the, the thing, you had some pictures that were taken from a group that kind of field-tested it, and were doing jumps. Uh, out of planes, it was a, a group out of US SOCOM. We'll probably, I guess, probably leave it at that. But some phenomenal pictures of them jumping with uh, yeah. with your harness. That was yeah, so that's, just ridiculous, cool, yeah. cool. Yeah, that's like the aerial version of it. And that's something else too. Is like you know, if we design a product, I don't want it to just have one function. So I don't see the point in that. I know these are a bunch of tangents, I guess, but no Adderall, the nightmare. We're yeah, going on anything pretty, shiny. Yeah, and lots of uh, IPA there. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, like. Because now we get into engineered obsolescence and how that's great a, word. How that's a thing that um, drives me nuts. But like you know, to use our harnesses example, our patrol harness, which has got one strap across the chest, is is very similar to our tracking harness because they are built off the same model. Our tracking harness is almost identical, besides certain aspects we won't name, so people don't just copy our stuff completely. With our repel harness and our repelling harness is darn near identical to our freefall harness. And so what we've done is we've said, you know what, the whole like idea of making 50,000 different versions of things just to sell more products is kind of stupid. It's mm-hmm. actually poor design, to be perfectly frank. If, if you have a strong foundation yeah, and then just build the unique capabilities for each one, then you already know you have something that's mm-hmm. combat tested by adding this in you're building just off a, a foundational and if you build and that's a, that's the part like that going back to the idea of IP being like your your number one resource you have to be able to have the the forethought to know that this thing is being designed for this one purpose but it can also function all these different environments as well and with these additions uh, with these additional modifications to that existing initial design so you have to have a little bit of a, an ability to kind of look past the immediate and see kind of into the future a bit to be able to do that. It's not a good, it's not a great business model. Like this is, (laughs) if we were trying to make money, this would be awful. Like it's ill-advised to think like this, but you know, I want our, our tracking harness, our patrol harness, our leads, like I don't want them to have to change designs in a hundred years because at the end of the day, it's a dude or a woman, sorry, no offense, ladies, but it's a person and a dog. It's, it's that simple. There's a person and a dog 
There are certain things anatomically that you cannot change between the two, and you are connecting the two. There's only so many ways that you can do that. So if we're creating ways that take all as many variables as we can think of into account, increase the capability of the handler by adding some minor innovation to that product, then we're increasing their capability and actually making it so their job is actually a little bit easier now. Because not thinking about detaching the cover buckle and then releasing the snap shackle and then adding complexity, man. Yeah, that's it'll yeah. it'll it kills. And we see that. I mean, it, we see that. What's so funny is we even see that. You know, you brought up AMGA stuff earlier with you know the mountain guide stuff. Is is people don't realize the context. You know, you have a lot of operational people, and we did that podcast before mm-hmm. where we talked about. It. They're like, oh man, you know, I'm I'm on a climbing team. I should do the AMGA thing. When in reality, the AMGA context is to get two overweight people from New York safely up an area that they feel adventurous on in a mountain so they can have wine and cheese and get them down safely. Yes. And and it's not moving some operational type thing. So when you look at context, you know, being able to to do something in the environment that the guys that are using your canine stuff in, it's a high threat stress mm-hmm. area. So decreasing the complexity is what you want to do. Where, you know, when we talked about the AMGA stuff, the reason I brought it up is there's some complex anchors in there that yeah. no one should ever even think about doing if you're operational. Because yeah. uh, you can't do it, right? It's re- it's quadruple redundancy because you're the only guide and you've got a couple of people that don't know what they're doing and that's why you're doing it. That's the context. In the context of what you're talking about, you've got a canine handler who's very experienced working with that dog, a dog that's extremely well-trained. That is not the the, the context where you need complexity but, or the, the environment gives you complexity, yeah. right? You have environmental pathology. I, I know you're going to say, go ahead, hit it. I was going to say, that's like decre- decreasing complexity and increasing capability is kind of our... Like that's what we're shooting for. The added, the additional design complications we keep putting on their gear. It's it's just so I have to kind of go there on something else. Go there, man. Go all there. All right. So I'm gonna put a dip in. All right. Most of the tactical harnesses that are available for dogs are actually built around the idea that they will have a camera system mounted to the dog's back. These camera systems cost as much as most people's cars, and so departments can't issue these and don't use them. However, the harnesses that are readily readily available for them are designed, again, or they're designed around that end user requirement that they need a camera system to be able to be attached to the back, which then doesn't, it doesn't take into account the dog's anatomy. And so what it does is it causes you to put a clip-in point too far back on the dog. Usually the front clip-in point's fine, but it'll cause these harnesses to fold. A buddy of mine who will not be named sent me a a recent shot of a brand new harness that's like the end-all be-all. This is the best harness out there. They actually, uh, tongue-in-cheek, named it after us to kind of do a little jab. So I'm not going to name the harness because I don't want to get in trouble with them. Um, But I got a a picture of that harness that's supposed to be the best that I've heard them explain is designed to be used to lower a dog into a scenario. Yeah, I can't give too much detail because the harness folded when you clipped into those two points, again, because it didn't take into account really anything. So the angle was, I mean, it was intense. You couldn't increase the angle enough um, or decrease the angle enough to make it work. And so the picture they sent me was like, dude, this is, they sent me this, it's completely folded in half. Did it, what would you call it an invertaco? Yeah, like this was, <laughs> this was almost, it was almost as bad as the Invertaco incident of 2016. Th- that will go down in that history. Will forever. Go down in it history. It was my favorite thing I've ever seen, actually. It was awesome. We have and to give uh, props out to, drinking to, to Mac. That. Yeah, let's give a prop out to, to Mac on that one. The Invertaco. And it's a special thing for about six of us. Yeah. So, it, you know, it, it's it's funny because I, I, I remember hearing that with them copying the name and stuff uh, is kind of giving a jab, but... It just comes from not knowing the design, right? They, they want to have these capabilities. They want to be able to advertise it as doing this, this, and this, and then it folds yeah. the dog, which is which no, is You neat. want to fold a dog in half while it's hanging. Yeah, I guess it's that's a technique. It's a technique. <laughs> We've tried it. Right? It's Thank God it was with, wasn't with a person. That so, would have been really bad. So let's, uh, let's, uh, let's go a little bit more happier note. Yeah. Uh, so just recently as of, I guess, like last night, was yeah, it? Or night before last, was, yeah. on America's Got Talent, which I started watching. Watched for ago. my first time. Yeah. My first time ever yeah. watching it was last Cheers. night. Uh, yeah, exactly. But the cool part about it is there was, and I'll let you talk about it, but yeah, yeah your harness was on there, man. Yeah, so uh, friends of ours, Sarah and Hero, um, we're on there with an act, and she made it to the semifinals. So right congratulations! On. I don't know if we have a clap app or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's like we got an audience listening. I, I, I've no? been drinking again. Okay, that's I don't, cool. Yeah, you know us. Yeah, 
That's all. all right, so yeah, but that was awesome. So the only, the only, it's supposed to be happy, but really it's kind of sad because the whole point of our harness being in it, which I guess I should say that our harness was in it, um, you couldn't tell because they blacked uh, a it out. company <laughs> literally gaff taped it so bad that I'm going to have to replace parts of it because it's just going to be like goo and dog hair now if they try to remove it, which I thought was cute, but you know, we didn't pay for any kind of advertising, so... That's that's fair. So the the whole point of using the harness is the dog was supposed to repel in. That's what we were waiting for. And I don't want to piss off certain people groups that I may or may not have worked with in the past in my former life as a hippie. Mm-hmm. But the the fact that a person was allowed to repel, but yet a dog was not allowed to repel, says something about the Hollywood folks right so in the end we were we saw you you obviously talked to me you had some stuff out on instagram a bunch of people watched it and obviously voted for uh to get her into the semis which is which is killer for uh, her and hero but uh so we were totally anticipating this and next thing you know she's rolling down on the thing and i'm like Looking i don't even like I don't, I don't even see the fucking dog man where is this saying and obviously then she called it up and it was already on the ground but i will say this if you guys are on instagram one you need to follow modern icon because you put out a lot of crap which Thank is you. cool but number two is you had the behind the scenes which one you could see what kind of yeah. harness it was he's had the modern icon but they were at strategic operations and had some great video of them doing some repels and everything with that which was pretty badass you had on there i guess I mean, today we, or yesterday. it was we went all out like we had so and this is not obviously it's not just for her um but we had we even create like i invented another product as a result of trying to come up with a way to do a quick detach of the dog that's also redundant so it's backed up so if anything happened the dog's safe we tried we tried and they said no so maybe next time that's semi-finals semi-finals maybe things will i don't know light it's it not up, in man. hollywood maybe it's somewhere else that is know. but anyways if you do yeah. if you guys are on instagram you got to check out modern icons and, and check out the uh uh, the two of them, the the it's a super uh, collies dog. What was it? It's the the super collies, and then we're modern icon one. Since a t-shirt company that's out of business has modern icon and won't get off it, we're working on that, guys. Okay, modern icon one, gotcha. But uh, dude, those dogs were sick though, man. Holy crap, they They're are pretty smart, dude. That was insane. Climbing yeah. up on our back and shit. I was like, what the hell? I'm like, I looked at my dogs, like, you are failures. <laughs> you are freaking failures. You have failed me. That's right. You can't do any of this crap. Except they can't pee in the carpet. Oh, dude, they can pee. That's and like, now Fiona can crap like an yeah, yeah. She'll look at so you. So they're talented. It's not like, like they're not talented. Like grudge craps. Yeah, it's just not like the looks right at you like, talent. Yeah. Bless her heart, man. She's a great dog, man. Buddy doesn't give a crap. He's just old, but they don't do anything. Right. Yeah, they it's crap. Under, it is kind of embarrassing they bark. you see Hero it, it is. Very talented. So that was, that was actually pretty, pretty awesome, man. What else you got, man? I think we kind of hit on most of yeah, the topics so we were going on. Since I don't think any of the people that would get mad at me for saying this will be listening to this yeah um there is a certain show filmed in hawaii yes and that what? may also be I'm a trying to police remember, related show i'm trying to remember I'm what, not gonna mention what a slang term for wanna, the police is man five oh man like i got maybe five something five like that but it's in so hawaii though be, there there will be a uh, yeah there will be a product that has yet to be released that we thought would be really funny if we released it on like international tv that's cool so so keep an eye so out. So keep an eye out for a show that will not be named that okay. is filmed in Hawaii and is about police officers whose sometimes are referred to as five oh. The number fifty. That's right. Fifty. Not to get confused with fifty cent. That's badass. So in the end, I think uh, I appreciate your time, man, and Modern Icons has blown the shit up, so that's awesome, man, which is <laughs> cool to cool to watch and everybody's using it because seriously, like looking at some of your feeds, man, you got like freaking teams in like abu dhabi you got freaking australia you got it's dudes everywhere it's and uh and then guys jumping out of planes with your harnesses and uh which is ridiculous so congratulations on that if anybody wants to get in touch with lee hit them up through your website which is modernicon.us because everything's in america including america our website that's it which is, <laughs> which is awesome uh instagram you're on instagram and all yeah. that other social media that i'm not good Facebook, at I, I did i did respond though I you were like that. the third person yeah, i comment really i didn't even, i didn't know how to comment so yeah so like my son and my wife have to run like our instagram and stuff for elements so it was I, witty but safe like because you didn't put the hashtags in i didn't know if i should i didn't yeah. know the proper rules of engagement for hashtags i knew i did get the at Modern icon, which is correct? huge, right? Yeah, which is enormous, huge, man. Right? Sometimes it'll be at something else. And yeah. That's not good. So I'm actually, so that was actually, I think, the third comment I've ever done on Instagram, and, and I was kind of like, 
a deep breath. I'm making sure yeah. I did it right. I was like Check it five times. Googling it on my computer, <laughs> making sure I'm doing it right as I'm having it on my hashtag, phone. Hashtag, hashtag, hashtag. Just leave them off, man. Just yeah. leave them off. Don't do it. I know. Don't risk it. I want a hashtag, though. You but, can hashtag uh, everything. It's great. Make yeah. your own hashtags. I, that's what I'm trying to yeah. do is, is kind of get that, yeah. get some intellectual property on that. But uh, yeah, check out Lee. Get in contact with him. A bunch of, uh, you by going through his Instagram and stuff, you'll see a lot of the people that are using using that gear. And I can tell you from first person going off his uh, leashes and things like that, uh, it, it, it's just phenomenally built stuff. Very simple, uh, not complicated because I'm a product of Southern Education, so <laughs> it works out works out really well for me. But I appreciate your time, man. Yeah, and definitely. you know, Thank in you. the end, it, for those people that are out there, and I think Lee will leave us with his parting thoughts: is if you use any weight-rated gear, man, whether you're working with canines or not, but specifically if you are working with canines. And to keep yourself from going down these rabbit holes of danger with groups that really probably shouldn't be making stuff or they're making it just because it, it looks badass and doesn't have capabilities, you know, make sure that you go back and check your crap. Make sure that it's it's made correctly for the intended use. If it's weight rated, make sure that the threads correctly, the bar tacks are right, they're using the right machines. All that plays a huge role uh, as far as the quality of it. Look at your webbing. So if you can, t- check out some of the pictures of, of Lee's stuff. Uh, that is stuff that we climb with, that we do rescue with. It's not this tape crap that you know uh, that you should never put Buy any like harbor freight you yeah exactly right or lows or something like that you know that you tie up some shit in the back of your truck with and it doesn't fly out the back <laughs> right. and now you're going to jump off a 10-story building with your or dog on put your dog on the end of it right it doesn't bite somebody yeah exactly so in the end we'll just end up with like the last minute of this of actually lee probably just giving you a couple of things if you're checking your equipment checking your gear that yeah. you put in your dog and like what what are you looking at when you check your stitching the webbing a couple little highlights and if people have any other questions they can email you yeah so you know that's i guess that's the biggest thing is knowing what you're looking at if you're going and looking at new products that are out there trying to buy uh, new products or find stuff for your departments um, make sure that you are asking the right questions um, if you see something that's different on it if you see something say something right say and something. uh it works for this too but you know ask the call the manufacturer ask them why they added 12 and a half cover buckles to a product <laughs> like why is there a quick detach shackle at the snap end so that you can quickly release a dog by getting closer to its mouth and the suspect it's trying to bite that's interesting and be like hey does that make any sense i sorry it was a whole nother it's longer than a minute but like that's a thing yeah and people are selling it left and right anyways sorry i gotta stop so yeah, just be, feel free to call BS on stuff, and that includes our stuff because we don't want you to like what we're trying to do is educate customers and help them to make better decisions and understand that not all gear is equal. And just because you're getting celebrity endorsements or seeing certain Insta famous people on Instagram selling products, doesn't make it the best. And if it is the best, it doesn't make it right for your application. Word up, man! Context is everything. Miss Langer wrote a whole book on it years ago called Mindfulness. Awesome, man. Thanks Thank for you guys brother. so much. Thank See you. you.